Hi everyone, this is Lahir and I'm from ABC's Anesthesia. So I'm a consultant anesthetist in Melbourne, Australia. And today I've got Alan with me. So Alan, welcome to ABC's Anesthesia. Now you reached out to me just uh, because you wanted some interview practice and advice. And I thought, you know, another great opportunity around this time of interviews to just give you some questions, throw some random stuff at you, and we'll just pause and uh, give you some feedback on that. And hopefully like you've got your interview next week <laughs> for a pretty important job. So hopefully this uh, is useful for you. So Alan, just to start with, tell, tell us a really little bit about yourself, where, where you're at. And um, yeah, let's get started. Yeah, sure. So first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, I wasn't expecting a response from, you know, <laughs> your, your platform. Uh, lots of people follow you. Um, so a little bit about me. Um, I'm Canadian originally, I'm currently PGY3. I work at the Royal Brisbane um, as an ICU uh, PHO at the moment. Uh, and yeah, that's, uh, that's okay, me. You got, you got your interview happening. Um, Hey, so just to give everyone a bit of background. So I'm, I'm one of the critical care supervisors. And it means that uh, this like literally just in the last couple of weeks, we had to shortlist from about two over 200 applicants down to, you know, just, we had 13, maybe 11 for the interview for, for, so for the actual interview for critical care jobs. And it's a harrowing procedure, you know, just trying to go through everyone's CVs and give everyone a really fair go. And then I've got to say, so specifically for the interview, I feel like everyone on that, everyone had exceptional, something exceptional about them. And when I was asking them questions, it felt like everyone sounded pretty similar, which is kind of annoying to me because I knew looking at their CVs that people were exceptional. But one of the big things was that, and I, I, potentially we'll talk about this in a second, is that when people answer questions, it seems like they say a lot of words and buzzwords. In the number of time people talked about reflecting and talked about, you know, their brand and stuff. And these are all fine to use buzzwords, but to not have substance that they've actually got behind them, like they've got plenty of stuff on their CV, why not mention some highlights? And I think that was a big part of um, the, the take home for me that everyone sounds the same, but they're exceptional, unique people that have been shortlisted from over 200 people. And they could, you know, do a lot to highlight that. So, that said, Alan, let's just get started. The best way is to get in there, make some mistakes, do some, you know, say some good stuff, say some stuff you want to change. Doesn't matter. We're here to improve. Uh, first, kind of warm up question, Alan. Tell me about yourself. Uh, yeah, sure. So um, a little bit by myself, uh, as I mentioned, I'm PGY three um, at the Royal Brisbane at the moment. Um, originally from Canada, um, born and raised over there, did my undergrad in the United States, actually in North Carolina, um, and then followed my dream to go to medical school. Uh, so I did that at uh, the University of Queensland. Um, so uh, that's me, I guess a little fun fact about me, um, you know, before pursuing medicine, um, I was a professional tennis coach. So I went to Wimbledon and the Australian Open. So uh, that's something I'm proud of, but yeah, just that's me. Good. And so in that question, I, I love that you gave a little bit of intro, you know, I, you know, born in Canada, med school, followed my dream med school, uh, and now I, you know, got into med medical school in um, University of Queensland. And in that question, I specifically do want you to tell me about your academic stuff, your clinical stuff, um, and give me the highlights. Um, and I'd love the fun fact. That, I mean, the fact that you went to Wimbledon, so, I mean, that's, that's a ridiculous point of difference. Uh, and the talking point, it's absolutely separate to you. Definitely mention that and at the end um, as the, you know, the absolute, you know, the dessert that they, the interviews go, wow, that was ridiculous. So um, okay. Okay. Go, go straight for your clinical and academic now. So tell me, tell me about kind of your clinical and academic highlights. 
Yeah. Okay. So um, clinically, um, I've tried to put my position my, myself in positions where I could become a well-rounded doctor. Uh, so I've had clinical uh, experience as a rural ED PHO and also experience as an ICU PHO um, at a quaternity hospital. Um, so that's one uh, main clinical um, thing that I'm proud of. Um, in terms of academics, um, I'm heavily involved in research. I've been involved with a, in a large RCT and ongoing with audits as well within different departments. Um, I'm also an academic title holder, holder uh, at the University of Queensland, which speaks to um, me being involved with, uh, you know, the UQ OSCEs, an MMI interviewer, uh, being a mentor for other international students uh, coming to UQ. Um, in terms of managerial things, uh, I've been involved in um, committees, uh, you know, a lot of committees at uh, through the University of Queensland. I'm also on the medication committee at the Royal Brisbane and also the founder of uh, UQ uh, Business, which is a little business um, group that I started in medical school. And um, from a personal side of things, uh, I guess I kind of talked about that a little bit earlier. Um, I have this uh, kind of unique path before medicine, I was a professional tennis coach, um, which instilled in me a few um, characteristics like hard work and um, diligence, uh, which was translated to, to medicine. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be um, rewarded the uh, medical doctor of the year at the Royal Brisbane as, as an intern. So, um, yeah, those are kind of my That's good. Alan, so, first of all, um, when you say your clinical First of all, that's great. You've got lots of stuff that you can brag about and highlight. And and by the way, it's not bragging if people ask you the question, right? So that makes it okay for us who don't want to yeah. kind of big up ourselves. Um, yeah, it's still awkward though. I hate, you know, I feel like we all hate doing it. Yeah. It's, and it's a practice <laughs> skill. Like it sounds so awkward, right? Um, so first of all, when you say your clinical stuff, that's the same. Everyone's done it, right? So how is that a possibly a point of difference? I want you now to tell me, so in your clinical stuff, tell me the highlights. Like, so I, I really love the critical care space. I've been an ICU officer for this and I've been a, you know, I've done my anesthesia rotation. I love emergency and I love the fast pace of that. Um, but the high, and then straight go to, some, you know, and during this time, I recall some really intense moments of managing arrests and, and successfully as well as unsuccessfully. And I've learned a lot from these instances like to to say and if there is one really big incident you could that you could relate to anesthesia in some way or not i, I feel like that suddenly puts in a, a point of difference of you so is there something in your clinical work that you just go well that was a highlight yeah, yeah, for sure. I guess the, the main thing that kind of um, speaks to me is that uh, when I was a house officer uh, on neurosurgery, on the neurosurgical service, I've done 20 weeks of neurosurgery at the Royal Brisbane, uh, and there was an airway emergency. Um, you know, so I was one of the first doctors there on scene. I initiated, you know, uh, typical management. Um, but the main thing that kind of um, comes out from that is when uh, obviously the Mertz buzzer was hit and um, the anesthetic advanced trainee came to that that bed space uh it was a chaotic um you know bed space there was a uh, panic in everyone's faces and you know when the anesthetist was there he took command of the of the case um allocated different roles uh, all while managing this deteriorating patient so that was something that i saw and i was like wow i i want to do that so that's what one big case that i remember and um i was fortunate enough to have those 20 weeks on neurosurgery uh to experience that yeah okay and good so you know you're given something uh to highlight the reason why you want to do anesthetics and potentially uh, if you were to also you know mention that you know i i did everything i could in a stepwise fashion 
for management of this um, airway emergency and hypoxemic patient. And then when the, and and I was really proud of just the way I fall back to basics, you know, doctor's ABCD kind of mentality to for optimization of the airway. And then to see the anesthetic trainee come in and, you know, just solve this problem, like, you know, do advanced airway maneuvers. I realized that, that at that point, this is definitely something I want to learn. I want to have this skill set. So they, you know, it relates to your skills as well as the fact that you were inspired to do anesthetics at that point. And most importantly, you know, at the end of the day, I think I think people recall very little about most of what you're going to say. But if you give a, a good emotion to them, um, that you're, you know, you're, you know, you, you present intelligently, you speak well, you, you know, you're humble enough, you don't go too overboard, um, and um, you've got relatable stories. I, I think that's the biggest thing. So all of that's really good. How about um, the f- stuff about in the academic space. Again, I want you to say, so academically, I really enjoy teaching. I'm heavily involved in research. Um, and, and then give me the highlights for each of those. Because I think, and, and you did mention it, uh, the fact that you're part of the part of an RCT. Have you published yet? No, so no publications. That's um, no, amazing. That's right. Yeah. That, that's right. So you can easily just kind of skip over that. You've, you're busy, you're involved in lots of things. And I think the highlight for me here is you were the reviewer for an undergrad neuroscience journal. That, like, not many people have done that. To highlight mm-hmm. that as part of your research suddenly makes the other stuff less of a concern, you know, like, oh, you haven't published, whatever. I've done that. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. That's um, good. That's do, a good do, point. Do, you to, do you want to have a go at so getting straight into your clin, your academic stuff? Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, academically, um, I've been involved in research. Um, I guess I've, I've been uh, part of a randomized control trial, really from the protocol development to ethics approval, um, all the way to data collection. And uh, at this point, the manuscript is uh, being typed up. Um, and also, I, uh, as an undergrad, I was an undergrad um, reviewer uh, for one of the first uh, online undergrad um, journals uh, in the United States. So uh, that's something I'm very proud of. That's good. And now probably good to talk about that other point that came up, which is how do you know how much to talk about? And that's a really good yeah. question because um, uh, first of all, you should know the timing of the interview and roughly how many questions and then you divide it. So, you know, 20, so say you've got 20 minutes, four minutes a question, if there's five mm-hmm. questions, um, every time you practice, you, you kind of want to have most of your good stuff out in that first minute. And um, mm-hmm. so strategically, if I was to say, and I was like, um, you go, yep, so, uh, you know, t- tell me about yourself type question. You go straight into the fact of where you're from and your journey very briefly. You you hit the high points of your clinical, your academic, and the fact that you are founder of something. You sh- that's the stuff you should name first, by the way. Um, and then okay. you just give a teaser of it. So hopefully you can get all of this out in one to two minutes. And then if they look like they want more detail, they probably won't for that first initial question. You can yeah. then go in and go, look, in more detail, this is what I did for this randomized control trial. This is what it was like working as a reviewer. This is what it was like being the founder of something. Um, if you're ever the fi- founder of something, that's just a really big thing that, you know, you can talk about, I think. Okay. okay hey, let, let's, um, let's, let's, so let's um, go on to the next kind of question, which is um, the situation. So uh, when, is, when is the time that you were criticized in the clinical environment? Um, yeah, sure. So one event that I can remember uh, was when I was an intern. Uh, I was on my mental health rotation and uh, I was having my mid-year um, review or my midterm review uh, with a, a consultant psychiatrist. Um, so uh, it was all good criticism. It was all good feedback. Uh, the main points that came out from there was 
um, A, I'm not prioritizing my uh, investigations early enough, uh, my uh, consults early enough, and my notes could um, have a, a little bit more detail. So, um, you know, taking that feedback on um, what I did, I was I asked the junior house officers or the registrars, you know, what what should I do to, to try and get a little bit better here? Um, got some info from them. Uh, asked the consultant directly what he uh, he suggested, um, and you know, gave, they gave me a few tips that I implemented. Um, you know, and what I did, I came in a little bit earlier to pre pre type my notes. Um, I prioritized um, consults early in the morning and prioritized in, uh, investigations early in the morning and all the rest of the jobs throughout the day, then I would attack those systematically. Um, I guess what happened there was um, that was well received. Um, all my jobs started to get um, completed. Uh, and then throughout the year, I used that. And I was lucky enough, uh, once again, to um, to be nominated as intern at the year, of the year at the Royal Brisbane, which was a, a great honor for me, um, you know, and, uh, you know, it kind of speaks to, speaks to my hard work and uh, I'm proud of that. <laughs> so even when you're speaking, I can tell that you're, you, you definitely don't want to brag. You, you feel almost embarrassed by saying that you were awarded something and that's a, mm -hmm. that's a problem. Like I, I think yeah, first you got to practice it. You got to practice mm -hmm. knowing that if they're asking you the question, it's not bragging. Um, mm -hmm. I like the fact that you say, I'm really proud of that because it, 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 it does soften the bragginess of it, which is a very good strategy. Um, yeah. And I think that works really well for you. So keep keep doing that. Um, but to not have that look of slight embarrassment or maybe even shame is the right word. Like you, you, okay. just, <laughs> you just don't need to feel bad okay. for that. Yeah. Um, and I, I want you to practice saying this stuff in front of a mirror, in front of you know your partner or your loved ones and your family and yeah. friends. Because if they don't pay you out for something, then you can make it work. Uh, yeah. That. Yeah, so that sounded really. What, what's and what's your approach for that? Do you, you know, the approach for situational things? Oh yeah, so like you guys have been um, yeah. teaching for a while now. So star, so situation. What was the uh, task? Uh, what action did you implement? And what was the reflection or the result? Is kind of how I tweak it um, yeah. from that situation. Yeah, mm -hmm. good star approach. You give me clear clear result that you got your work done and you were finishing things appropriately, and then the reflection. The reflection is almost the fact that you got this, you know, award. It was like, mm. wow, that that really worked, and it was just so so satisfying that uh, by this extra, but first of all, getting feedback, asking people how they did something, tweaking your system, it, that that you know, that's a really that's a really good situation. That's a really that's a really good example. It started out like, oh, man, it, it 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 was kind of soft level stuff, which is totally fine in the intern resident mm -hmm. level. But the fact that mm -hmm. you got such a big outcome out of it makes this situation a lot better. I was about to mm -hmm. ask you, go, yeah, that's great. Did anything really wrong happen? Uh, mm -hmm. Like a, a serious mistake happen? Because mm -hmm. that was almost too soft of a thing. Yeah. Um, but so let's let's just go with that. Did any, you know, you don't, obviously give no specifics or anything like that. But um, did you have any kind of more serious? issues that came up during the intern residency that you had to work through? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, one that comes to mind uh, was once again, when I was on the neurosurgical uh, unit, um, the what happened was um, there was an agency nurse uh, that was looking after this patient uh, post-operatively. So uh, a nurse that wasn't you know, used to neurosurgical cases. My job was to clerk the patient uh, post-operatively, you know, write the notes, um, write the plan. Uh, and write up all the regular meds. Uh, and what happened there was um, the plan was for the patient to receive uh, VTE prophylaxis the next day. Um, so I wrote that in my plan. I didn't cross it out in the medical chart. Um, 
as it was a new chart. Uh, so that is a mistake that I did. And the VTE was given um, to the patient postoperatively, so post-craniectomy. So pretty um, big issue there. So what I did um, immediately, I escalated this to the registrar, um, you know, the neurosurgical registrar who told me, okay, let's uh, increase the neuroobs and we'll follow this patient up until tomorrow to see if there's any issues at all. Um, luckily, nothing came about. It. There was no bleeding. There was no complications, which was great. Um, but outcomes from from that, you know, a risk man was was placed, um, and which was completely fair. And what I learned from that is, you know, communication is not only written or you know ver verbal. Um, I also need to go and uh, you know make sure that I'm uh, following up with. Um, I guess, uh, these these types of clinical scenarios, uh, keeping in, in mind that, you know, might be different uh, staff that are at the bedside. So communication is key. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, that's good. And I, I definitely, definitely, if you're going to pick a scenario, the first one is great because it's got such a win at the end of it. Um, okay. <laughs> and, 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 and that scenario, it's good. You know, the, the result was that, you know, fortunately nothing happened to the patient. They were absolutely fine with the increased neuroobs. You, you know, no, no adverse events occurred. And the, the and the action you took from then on was to be just more thorough. It's the thing of being more thorough. Like it's it's hard to even fix that because you're probably just incredibly busy on a neurosurgery rotation, and you probably had an, uh, like so many other emergencies happening or other things. It's it's hard to know how to exactly tackle this thing of just it, like it, it was just a lapse right of being in a busy ward yeah i just didn't cross out the the box because it's still hand um handwritten at the at the royal so yeah, you, know, yeah. you write all your notes and everything oh well you write your notes handwritten and then you're supposed to go and cross it out and write everything so you know um, the, the take home for me in that is that i realized i i think after debriefing lots of colleagues but i was obviously very dis disturbed that i missed that all my colleagues had reported that you know little little things do get missed and that's just natural being in a very busy environment with adequate hours and adequate inadequate staffing at times um and what i learned from those first of all you know the incredible need to be thorough and experienced and have very you know stringent uh, uh, i guess uh, systems for you know writing your plan and then checking your med chart and your obs and the, the variables are all in place without and completing that before you go into the next patient but also the fact that i realized that the mistakes do happen and there's a system to try to make it better that you can, you know, debrief with your colleagues, figure it out. I, like I almost feel, you know, do a risk man, look at it, look at it in your M&Ms to get a whole team approach to something. And I'm, I'm almost like that, that reflection, it might be a bit better because it's hard mm -hmm. to just fix a lapse in judgment, but it is a better thing to fix in a whole system. So if you are going to use that scenario, I reckon I'd go with that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That's great. Um, hey, how about, um, when was a time that you sacrificed your own progress for the benefit of someone else? It's hmm. a very good question. It could be clinical or non-clinical, like just in your social life or. Yeah. Um, I think so. I guess maybe one scenario that um, kind of comes to mind was actually when I was in undergrad. Um, so uh, I was, uh, you know, going through my biology courses, and I was also part of the tennis team there. Um, and there was one teammate that was really struggling to try and make the the roster. Um, so, um, you know, they were trying to to practice and improve their shots, their their serves and their their forehands and all that. 
Um, and me being on the lineup um, and one of the captains of the team, I, I thought that I appreciated that they were working that hard. Um, and the, were you the captain or one of the captains? One of those. So there's two captains on the, okay. on the team. So a co-captain. I thought you were being yeah. humble or something. <laughs> no, no, yeah, two, two captains. Okay. Cap- yeah. Last name is Humblet. So I guess that's, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> anyway. Um, uh, yeah, so two two captains. Uh, I was one of them. Uh, this guy was really trying to work hard to try and make the lineup, um, and asked me, "Hey, you know, do you have any? Do you want to stay back? Can we do some drills? Can I, I work? Um, you know, my forehand with you?" And um, at that time, I was really busy. I had some lab reports to to finish. Um, I had some priorities uh, from an academic point of view, um, but those weren't due just yet. You know, um, I still had time to. To stick around so i you know i spent an hour with him uh we developed um you know uh, some technique changes for him to improve as a as a tennis player uh and then you know uh, i went back to to try and get my studies done uh, it was a long night um you know it was only an hour but then it, uh, it kind of disrupts your rhythm um but that's a that's a scenario that i can kind of think of off the top yeah. of my head good and remember like i think the toughest thing about that question is the fact that you know there's lots of little things that we will do continuously for people throughout our lives and it's hard to think of some kind of big massive one so i think the fact that you can you, you thought of that i think that's a really reasonable answer like often people are in the situation of donating kidneys or you know giving up their career for someone so just to yeah. that you came up with a you know a really reasonable thing where you gave your time for someone and it, it just meant that you have to work work later but you saw the value in this helping your mate you know, trying to make get getting them into the tennis team or doing a bit. Mm. Of, I, I think that was a really good example and just genuine. Um, so that was great. Um, hey, w- what are you outside of your CV? What are you most proud of? Um, well, for me, the main thing right away is my family. So I have uh, a ten-month-old daughter, uh, and she is, you know, uh, just the love of my life. She's awesome. Um, my my partner has been around with me for I don't know how many years now. <laughs> she don't don't tell her that. Uh, I would say like six, seven years, eight years, um, and she's been there um, supporting me. So uh, that my family, um, I love them, and they're I want to do the best for them, and uh, they they've been backing me for forever. So that's what I'm most proud of. That's great. That's a that's a really great thing to be able to say. It's definitely not on your CV, and the fact that you've got a ten month old. I mean, already as an let's say into you, I'm like, oh, the, you know, the heartstrings and the the, <laughs> the cuteness of a ten month old. Just again, the emotional connection to that person. Um, and Maybe incredible. I'll bring her out during the the interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just, um, by the way, it's something I prepared earlier. <laughs> as long as you're not crying or you know, yeah, yeah, seeing exactly. a nappy change, you're you're all good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, look, that that's, and again, I think there's there's a, the constant thing is that you, yeah, you definitely. F- so that that's a great scenario. I'm just going to say it a little bit differently. Just see what you think. So yeah, but that, that's a really easy question for me. Um, my family is the thing I'm most proud of. I've recently, you know, I've got a 10 month old baby girl now, and she's the absolute love of my life. And when I think of what my family has done for me, um, and the, the you know the, just the connection we have together, my wife she's supported me for the last seven years. We've been together, at, you know, traveled cross continents, through med school, through things, and you know, the love I have for my family and everything that we, we're developing together and the life we're building is just beyond anything, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. 
um, to yeah. specify those key points. I don't know. Um, yeah, just, that, no, that's just my. <laughs> that might be a terrible answer for you. So don't don't take that. No, up. no, but that's Pretty like good. that's amazing, and that's that's um, the the difficulty in answering these questions is coming up with something that sounds so eloquent. I'm just like naturally, I I'm not mm-hmm. the best speaker. You know, I, I can speak. I like speaking with people, but just when when it comes off in terms of you know how to phrase certain things to make them sound a lot better yes. um that's where i struggle you know and so and I, I think there's not a bad thing okay so you, you've got mm-hmm. let's say you've got the most natural speakers in the world i've only seen a couple in all my kind of history like may, maybe once every couple of years on interviewing you'll see a, a, just the most natural speaker who doesn't sound rehearsed who gives excellent content the next person is the extremely a rehearsed person and they're, and they're okay. I expect them to be rehearsed. I expect them to have made an effort. Um, and as long as the data points they're giving is good to me, I, I, I don't, I don't penalize them for their naturality. The fact that they've done a bit of work and they're not natural. That's great. You know, you, I care like the interview has no evidence for success in your specialist career, but the fact that you've turned up as part of the process, you've turned up, you've made an effort shows that you know this game and you're going to play whatever game the training program throws at you. So that's what that yeah. tells me. Mm. This is not everyone's opinion. It's just this is my opinion. Um, yeah. And then the next level is relaxed speaker, a little bit less rehearsed. So you're falling between the rehearsed and the relaxed, and that's not a bad place to be. Like I want you a little bit more in the kind of the formal-ish mm. setting because you want to be able to just say the words out with the data points and that makes you a little bit rehearsed, but that's, that's fine. Your manner is absolutely right for this. You know, you, you, you know, likable, you're telling genuine stories, you've got real facts, you've got a real interesting life already. So yeah, I think all of that's going really well. Um, let's go with, how about this situation? So you get, you get your anesthetic training job and in your first week of that job, as you walk into the anesthetic, uh, let's say the anesthetic room, it's your consultant is there. There's no patient there. And you notice that they're injecting uh, fentanyl. Um, they don't see you and they walk out of the room as you walk in, but you've definitely seen that they're injecting fentanyl. What do you do? Okay. So that's a, that's a difficult scenario, obviously for, for multiple reasons. A, um, you know, the consultants injecting fentanyl. Uh, so that's, that's a, you know, for obvious reasons, that's a, a bad point. Um, second issue there is really me as a first week registrar trying to approach a, a consultant and with this problem is uh, another difficult point. So uh, the way I would approach this is uh, initially making sure that the patient is safe. You know, if we're, if we're in there and we're preparing a case um, and I've seen that the consultant has definitely injected fentanyl, um, this is something that I have to escalate right away. Uh, this is not a scenario where I try to um, seek some more information or anything like that. I've definitely seen this. I need to go see either the duty anesthetist or the supervisor of training or a senior um, right away. Um, once that's complete, um, I think I'd be comfortable enough to approach the consultant and tell them what I've seen. Um, but again, it would depend on the scenario. Uh, if it is something I'm not comfortable doing, um, and you know, alerting them, uh, I would just go, as I said, right away to the the directors um, and go from there. But let's say, let's say that point. So you've sorted out patient safety. You made sure that and now you're looking after the welfare of your your colleague. Then the and you rightfully escalate it, and they 
you're, you're all in this meeting together and they approach the consultant and consult goes, yeah, look, I've, yeah, you got me. I've got a drug addiction problem. It's, it's horrible. I'm going to get help. And then they say, look, I'm going to go home. I'll talk to my wife. We're going to see a psychiatrist, uh, get drug and alcohol involved and then heads for the door. What do you do? Oh, a few issues there. Um, so we know that uh, drug use and suicide rates and also being confronted about this in the workplace is, is related to uh, are all inter interconnected. So I don't think I would be uh, I would feel safe letting that consultant go uh, for multiple reasons for that one. Also, um, they're under the influence of uh, an opioid fentanyl, a drug. Um, so I would try to, um, you know, corral the rest of the team and mention my my point of view and why I'm worried uh, and try to keep an eye on them and not let them leave uh, on their own. Uh, hopefully, you know, yeah, get a, get admitted if, if that's something that is required. Good. Hey, so that's a great answer. So first of all, you summarize the awkwardness. This is a really tricky situation, not because of not just the fentanyl use, but the fact that there's such a hierarchical problem here and potentially, you know, it's anesthesia, like things go wrong very quickly and the patients could be at risk as well. So you gave me that summary. You talked about patient safety, pretty much talked about the welfare of your colleague as well. So patient safety, colleague welfare, important. Often the room and other staff welfare could be another thing in other kind of professional kind of scenarios. Uh, you, I like that you said, look, there's no real info to seek here. You've witnessed it. So you you uh, addressed that and you moved on, which is fan fantastic technique for when there's a structured way of saying something and this deviates from the structure to acknowledge the deviation is really useful like that. Um, and then you gave something that's realistic. You know, realistically, am I going to talk to this consultant? It's such a hierarchical mm -hmm. distance that you'd have to just go straight to your supervisor training or the director and, and or the head nurse and talk about this. Um, and that's that's the end of that scenario. And just to push you a little bit further, there's an ANSCA document on this kind of stuff from the welfare documents uh, on the ANSCA website uh, and really goes through the fact that, yeah, the high suicidality and you, you you can't let them leave. They need to be admitted. They, you know, it's it's way above your pay grade. Calling security if need be is kind mm. of recommend. So, yeah, that was, that was a great answer. Um, let's go, hey, last scenario, let's go to a clinical scenario. Um, mm. This is actually the one we gave to the critical care interviews this year. So, um, okay. Let me try to remember it. So you're, uh, you're, you're in theater with your consultant and uh, so they're, they're busy, obviously, um, doing a case. And then you get a call to review uh, the next patient. Next patient uh, is a 70-year-old fractured femur, fractured off. Um, and they've got a whole bunch of past histories. Let's say they have, there's a type 2 diabetic uh, on insulin and oral hypoglycemics, uh, ischemic heart disease with a stent for, uh, five years ago. So, and I think I mentioned they're 70 years old. Uh, they've got Parkinson's and hypertension and hypercholesterolemia. Uh, they, the, the nurse who asked you to come and review them immediately says that they're also now disoriented and confused. Um, how do you approach the situation? Okay. Um, so main issues in this uh, clinical scenario, uh, I think are um, multiple. So. A, the consultant um, is busy doing a case. Uh, I think in a normal scenario, I would want the consultant to see this see this patient. It's a patient that's um, comorbid, uh, newly confused, uh, but they're busy at the moment. Um, next issue is, um, I guess, a suitability for us to continue uh, and proceeding with this case um, in the context of uh, new confusion. 
So what I would do, um, I think I would initially go see the patient. I would notify the consultant, hey, there's some concerns of the, our next patient. Uh, they're nearly, nearly confused. Let me go take a history and examination and I'll report back to you. So that's my initial steps. I would go um, review the patient, review the chart, um, see if this confusion is new, uh, if they have a past medical history. Uh, well, they do have a part, past medical history of Parkinson's, but I'd like to try and get some collaterals to see if they're more um, delirious or anything like that. Um, it, and also, so, so it's mm. acute, acute, definitely recent in the last hour or so. Um, keep going. What? How do you sort this out? Okay, so if it's acute uh, new confusion, I'm trying to think of my differentials here. Um, number one would potentially be that the patient is in pain. They have a neck of femur fracture. Uh, so that's one thing I want to make sure that they're adequately, adequately um, uh, analgesed and their pain is under control. Uh, they're also a type 2 diabetic, you know, so I'd like to do um, just bedside BSLs to make sure that there's uh, no issues um, from that point of view. Um, and they're a seven-year-old gentleman. I'm not quite sure how long they've been on the ward or if they've been on the ward. There let's, could say, be a... let's say they've um, they, their operation has been delayed for three days due to inadequate mm -hmm. theater time. Um, so they've kind of been in the hospital for three to four days. Okay. Um, so over there, there, there could be some, some main issues. I'd like to see if they're on VT prophylaxis to see if there's potentially, you know, um, a clot. Um, other issues there, the patient could be constipated. If he's in pain, he might be receiving opioids or other pain, um, relief that could, um, cause constipation and then, uh, lead to confusion. Uh, the patient could also have another brewing infection, um, acutely, um, in the context of their type two diabetes and, um, high cholesterol. So, yeah. And as you're going through this, obviously this, and again, I've, I've thrown this question out because it's a question that's not anesthetically specific, but very very relevant to it and any junior doctor will have managed this hopefully so that's a part of the thing now now as you went through your differentials you probably noticed that oh my god there's a lot of differentials here so how would you systematically or how would you group them how would you categorize them so you didn't miss anything yeah, I guess there's a few different ways. Uh, the way I approached it was um, most likely to less likely. Um, but there's also another framework, um, you know, in med school. Uh, I don't use this one that much, but uh, Vindicate. So thinking of the different um, uh, what is uh, anatomy. So Vindicate, uh, you know, initially you have your vascular causes. I is your infective causes. N is neoplastic, which is um, probably not the, the case here. Um, the drugs, if there's any drugs that they're um, using. Um, I is uh, immunological, if I remember well. Or I, I trigenic. Yeah. Yep. Um, vindicate. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> C. Okay, uh, C, I think it's congenital, not uh, relevant here. Um, A. Can't remember what A is. Autoimmune, maybe. Yeah, autoimmune. Um, T. I have to. <laughs> isn't it? No, that's right. T is probably trauma, and E is probably endocrine. Endocrine. I've got, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's this, yeah, this is this is good, right? So everyone should have a system. If they get a question, they're like, "Are oh, causes of something?" And I don't have a specific system. Like you'd never use this for stuff that you just knew um, mm. really well. Like say hypertension is preload rate rhythm contractility afterload. Uh, this cane did is what I use. Cane, so C A N E D I T, congenital autoimmune, neoplastic, endocrine, drug, uh, infection, infectious, and trauma. I can be immunological as well. So uh, when I think of this, um, you, you can absolutely use that. So for, first of all, just to give you feedback on that, absolutely. You so you attended and you highlighted the problem here of a you know recently deteriorated patient. 
they're sick and they need surgery, you go up to attend. Now, the first thing you do, you mentioned history examination, but because this is a sick patient, uh, you know, one that's newly deteriorated, you have to say ADE assessment. And at yeah. that point, you may briefly go through it as quick as you can. And I'll then offer you some investigations and they'll be like slightly tachypneic and slightly tachycardic and hypertensive. Um, and then I'll give you a BSL as well and um, a temperature, uh, which is kind of normal. Um, I, at that point, then what you're saying was all reasonable. I like the fact that you mentioned specific things. And I really do like what is most likely, what is most serious, and then a categorized list. So what is most likely, look, this could be due to pain. It's an elderly patient. Um, uh, maybe they're off their Parkinson's meds. And maybe it's just a delirium due to being in a hospital that has no other cause. Other, you know, That's hard to, hard to ascertain. But the serious things I really want to rule out are a cardiac event, PE, hypoglycemia, infection, mm -hmm. sepsis. Um, and then all of my differentials will be based on physiological. So I'll make sure all my parameters are normal. I'll take a VBG and check those parameters, sodium and glucose, as I mentioned. Um, uh, so your physiological, pharmacological, I'll look at the drug charts, see what they've given, too much opioids, benzos, anti-psychotic medications, any neurologically active stuff, serotoninically active stuff, I would also look for. Uh, and that's your farm, and then neuro and other, and other meaning your cardiac or system by system. So this is a huge differential type list. Yeah. Just to mm -hmm. clarify for everyone, I went through ADE, that gives me a lot of good stuff. Then I went through phys, farm, neuro, and other. Other can be lots of things, but it could be system by system, just to make sure you haven't missed anything. I mm -hmm. also overlaid that previously with what's most likely and what's most serious. And this is a mm -hmm. common structure I use for uh, diagnosis and intraoperative problem solving as well. What's most likely, what's most serious, and then a categorized list of differentials. It doesn't matter that you don't get everyone, right? Because it's mm -hmm. there's so many, but you show that you've got a really good process. And literally every time I ask a clinical scenario, this is kind of the framework. Attend, highlight the problems if there's anything particular, show, show that summary statement shows you've got overall idea of what's going on, A2E assessment, and then I this is my most likely, most serious, and categorized, and this is how mm -hmm. I figure out the, um, how, this is how I diagnose each of those things, uh, quickly and briefly. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, uh, yeah, that's great. A lot more thorough. Yeah. No, that's good. All good. All good. Um, yeah. Hey, so Alan, that's probably enough time of grilling you. Um, yeah. Did you have any questions at all? <laughs> uh, no, no, that was great. That was great. And I think any practice that I, you can yeah. speak out loud, um, is great. So that's, I really appreciate you, uh, spending the time there with that um once again it's just trying to figure out the you know how much time and how much detail in in those motivational ones because you know i have things that i want to mention but i feel like i you know i can't hit them quick enough um or you know they sound too waffled so it's uh, just something to keep hey, on refining i guess if you time yourself and say everything you want to say but just the highlights yeah. i suspect that you will still be two minutes it's and okay. not a problem yeah. You're speaking yeah. fast enough that you'll get things out. Um, so I, I just, I don't think I'd worry about that. I'd just, okay. as long as you're not speaking extremely slow, which you're not, uh, mm -hmm. you will get everything you need. So I, almost for you, I wouldn't worry about that. Just okay. get get out the high, highlights. Um, I, you know, as a take home, often when I do this kind of, I guess, uh, practice and coaching, there's always something about the person and that's going to be the key feature of where they're going to have a hang up. And if there's anything you worked on, it's, it's not it's not bragging just say the fact it's, if it's a fact it's not bragging and you're proud of it you know that that structure that you use you know i'm really proud of this say it with genuineness and you know <laughs> you're not trying yeah. to throw off something they've asked yeah. the question 
I would just get really used to saying that. Get really used to saying each of the best parts of your CV, which is the fact that you're on a NC. NCAA athletic scholarship, amazing. International tennis coach, amazing. Founder of a society, amazing. Um, reviewer for a journal, amazing. You're doing an RCT, doing lots of elements in it, amazing. Um, and then you have, you've got some great stories there that you can apply. So practice saying those things and giving a little bit of detail for each little, a, a teaser, a little bit of detail and, and practice in front of your 10-month-old, in front of your partner. <laughs> In front of your family, in front of your best mate, because they'll grill you and laugh at you. And if you can do that, you can probably be okay with an interview panel. Yeah. 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 Cool. Cool. Awesome. All good, Alan. Um, so, you know, really good luck for the next week. Let me, definitely let me know how you go and uh, and uh, wish you all the best. And thanks very much. All right. Well, thank you so much. I'll, I'll keep you posted for sure. Beautiful. So that's... Uh, that's the end of this episode everyone so please um share uh, with anyone who might be interested and we'll see you again next time 